Welcome back to the Word on Fire show. I'm Brandon Vaught, the Senior Content Director, and we have a great show for you. We're going to be discussing the Word on Fire Bible Project. Many of you know we released Volume 1 last year, but we want to give you an update on the series and a sneak peek to Volume 2 and the future volumes in this series. But before we get there, I want to welcome Bishop Barron. Bishop, good to be with you. Hey, Brandon. Always good to see you. Let's update everybody on a couple things that are happening here at Word on Fire and in your life. One of them is that you just went to Chicago recently to baptize the little baby of Sean and Roseanne Lee. Sean and Roseanne are longtime employees at Word on Fire, longtime friends of yours and mine. Uh, Talk about that trip. How was it? Yeah, what a joy. It was my first time home to Chicago in, what, 13 or 14 months since before COVID. And my poor mother, you know, who's in assisted living, and I've not been able to see her because they weren't letting her out. We couldn't get in to see her. So actually, for the first time in my life, I didn't go home for Christmas this past December. So it was my first chance to see my mother in a long time, which was great. Uh, but then, right, the, um, the ostensible reason for going was the baptism. And of course, Roseanne, I've known since she was an undergrad at Notre Dame. And I was there as a visiting scholar, and I taught a course. And there was Roseanne, all of maybe 19 years old in the front row. And then, of course, uh, later she, we, we hired Word on Fire, and then we hired uh, Sean. And the two of them met and started dating and got married. So they're kind of we're not a real Word on Fire couple. And then they've been having, now this is their fourth child. And I baptized now two of their kids, their first and their last now. Um, so anyway, it was a joy to be with them and to be with you. You were in as the godfather, and, and your dear wife was there as godmother. So great to see all you guys. And actually, the St. Joseph Day at Word on Fire in Chicago, that was a real joy for me. I said Mass in the office. And a lot of these folks, of course, I hadn't seen for a long time because of crazy COVID. So it was just uh, marvelous to be with them. Another exciting development at Word on Fire is the release of yet another exciting book. This one is titled The Pope Benedict XVI Reader. We just released this on the birthday of Mm -hmm. Pope Benedict XVI. It's a collection of the best of the best excerpts from his writings, speeches, essays, homilies, prayers. There's a little something of everything in there. So whether you've been reading Pope Benedict for a long time or you want to get started but don't know where to start because he's written nearly 100 books, this is a great way in. Uh, you can find out more at wordonfire.org slash Benedict. Uh, we don't have a copy yet. Bishop and I are still waiting for the copies yeah. to roll off the printer. It just came out, but I know, Bishop, you've been a longtime fan and devotee of the, the theology of Benedict the Sixteenth. so I, I know you must be excited for, about this book. I love this book. Beautiful looking book, and, and you know, I say that with kind of a father's pride, all the work of Word on Fire, they're always beautiful. I was teaching Josef Ratzinger um, when I was a, a professor at Mundelein, so back in the early 90s. In my Doctrine of God class, I had the students read Ratzinger's Introduction to Christianity. It's funny, when he was elected pope in 2005, I was getting emails from former students of mine, like from the early 90s, saying, hey, hey, your guy just got elected pope. So they knew him as the guy that I had assigned for class. I, I love that book, and we have excerpts from Introduction to Christianity in there. And see, you know, a bit like Karl Rahner, um, Ratzinger was not someone who wrote one great systematic uh, work. He's not like Bart or Baltazar. So you have to kind of work your way through these more occasional writings of his. So I think our book is a good introduction, if you want an overview, to get into the mind and heart of, of uh, Ratzinger slash Benedict. I think it's a great way to start. 
So you can learn more, pick up your copy at wordonfire.org benedict. All right, the book that we're actually going to be focusing on today is the first in a long series of books. It is, of course, the Word on Fire Bible. We released volume one, which included the four Gospels last year. Um, but before we get to that volume, Bishop, let's back up a little bit and talk about the genesis of this whole mm-hmm. project. How did this idea come about? Why did you think we needed a new Bible? You know, I'll give Father Steve a lot of credit for this. I think from the beginning, uh, and you were involved too, Brandon, very much in saying what we really need at Word on Fire is is a Bible. And I think the inspiration there goes back to Vatican II and the great Constitution Dei Verbum, right, on the Word of God. And Vatican II called for a revival in the study of the Bible on the part not just of scholars but of ordinary of uh, Catholics. My conviction is, and this is complicated, and we, we actually had an episode, didn't we, on the historical critical method and all that. For a variety of reasons, I think that never happened, at least sufficiently, the biblical revival. Um, and so that's what was behind it. If we want to carry on the new evangelization very much in the, in the spirit of Vatican II, I think that's one way to do it, is to put a great stress on the Bible. And I will say this, maybe in light of, of the historical critical method, uh, without bad-mouthing it, I mean, it was an important moment in the church's appropriation of the Bible. And by that term, I mean the careful academic study of the cultural and historical conditions that produced the biblical text. So the uncovering of the intention of the human author of a given text. That's a way to sum up what historical criticism is about. Valuable, of course. Indispensable, yes. But there was a certain limitation to it, you know, a tendency to kind of over-rationalize the Bible and to historicize the Bible. That's to say, well, we, we know a lot about the historical Isaiah or the historical Jeremiah or the conditions under which, you know, First Kings was composed. But is the Bible singing to us from those ancient times to the present day? And that's a limitation of a, the rationalistic method of the historical critical approach. So what we wanted to do was recover a more patristic style. By that I mean the style of the Church Fathers. Now Origen, Chrysostom, uh, Jerome, uh, Maximus the Confessor, Augustine, etc. And these men, of course, were highly intelligent, read the Bible in a very um, you know, critical way, but yet they were also pastors. They were also uh, bishops of dioceses. They were catechists. They were missionaries. And so they wanted to bring out, above all, the sort of lyricism, the spiritual lyricism of the Bible. And that's how I look at this, Brandon, and people that have read Volume 1 know this, that we have the biblical text of the Gospels, but then surrounded by many texts from the fathers themselves, but then from figures in the great tradition who were kind of in the patristic style, bringing out the spirituality, I would say, of the text. So again, it's not to badmouth study Bibles that put a stress on the historical conditions and all that. Those are available. I'd say get them, study them, they're great. But this one, I think, is designed to open up the world of the Bible, spiritually speaking. Um, If you want the world in front of the text more than the world behind the text, you know, how does this text now open up for us now, spiritually? That was our whole um, purpose. You know, before we started work on the Word on Fire Bible, I think the two flagship epic resources we've created at Word on Fire would be the Catholicism film series and the Pivotal Players film series. Each of these spanned 
multiple episodes over multiple years. Do you see the Word on Fire Bible following that trajectory? And, and if so, what's, what's the link between, say, the Bible and the Catholicism series and Pivotal Players? What do they share in common? It's the via pulchritudinis, right? Pope Francis' line, the way of beauty. So I've just been talking about the commentary element of the Bible. So all these wonderful spiritual commentaries, ancient and modern. But the other feature that it has in common very much with pivotal players in Catholicism is a stress on beauty. That beauty is itself a way in, maybe even the privileged way in to Catholicism. So even beyond the various arguments and articulations of the meaning of the faith, just the showing of the splendor of the faith. And I took that as basic in the Catholicism series and pivotal players, is I wasn't just going to talk about church doctrine or great church figures. I wanted to show them. I wanted to, to show the, the splendor of the church, whether it's in, it's in a cathedral, it's in the Sistine Chapel, it's in great works of architecture, it's in the lives of the saints, etc. Well, the Word on Fire Bible's got that quality, too. As you go through it, you find the text of the Scripture, you find these marvelous commentaries, but then you also find, on practically every page of it, some beautiful illustration, some graphic design, something that's going to beguile your, your eyes. I don't know, Brandon, if I've said this before, this goes way back in my life to when I was like in third grade or whenever it is when you make the transition from books with pictures to books without pictures. And I remember like third, fourth grade, it's like, now, you know, we're, we're big boys and girls and we're ready for books without pictures. Well, okay, I got that. But I'll tell you the truth, and I've never gotten over it. I still miss it. I, I, I missed the pictures you know, when I was 10 years old, and I still miss the pictures. I, I love books with illustrations. I'm a bit like a, a medieval monk that way. I like illuminated manuscripts. And so the Word on Fire Bible is, is that, using now the best technology of today. It's an illuminated manuscript so that you're, you're kind of drawn into the world of the Bible in all these ways, the text itself, then the great commentaries, but then maybe most importantly, the beauty that causes you to sit back and savor, you know? And what, you know, the cliche about a, a picture's worth a thousand words, th there's a lot to that. If you see a Rembrandt etching, let's say, of um, the return of the prodigal son, you know, and of course Rembrandt, this, this consummate genius, is able to convey so much texture of, of experience and meaning and so on. So that's what I want. I want, when you're reading this Bible, that you'd say, ah, look at that picture, look at that painting, you know, and it would draw you in. So it's, it's all of that. It's all of that. That's what we wanted. So we spent about two or three years planning this first volume of the Bible. A lot of work went into designing the framework for the layout, what it's going to look like, what features it's going to have, and then all of the painstaking research of collecting all of these commentary excerpts pouring through the church fathers mm -hmm. and some of the great saints and spiritual masters of our tradition. We finally released volume one in June of 2020. And um, you've talked about this before. We initially ordered 50,000 copies, which I remember at the time, we're all like, yeah, all right, that's, that's a lot much. of books. Yeah, we, <laughs> yeah, we thought right. we might have like overordered a little right. bit, and, and we thought this is going to last us at least for a, through a year through the Christmas season. Right. Yeah, but then, uh, man, I, I think the we had three versions: leather, hardcover, paperback. Mm -hmm. I think the leather one sold out in a couple days. I think the hardcover was like a week or two weeks, and then 
the paperback one sold out pretty quickly after that. So we went through the whole stock almost immediately. And, and unfortunately, because of the high yeah. quality of the design and production of this book, it takes five or six months to right. pull the paper and the leather and the ribbons and the, all the, you know, all the things from around the world to put these together. <laughs> were you surprised by that reaction? We, we thought, okay, oh, people totally. are going to like this, but did, yeah. did you think that they would be this captivated by this Bible? No, I, I mean, I was totally surprised. But as you say correctly, we ordered the 50,000. And I remember saying probably to Father Steve or to you, like, what, 50,000? Really? Gosh, I mean, it's pretty expensive, and can we, you know, to make, and can we sell that many? Well, you know, Christmas coming up, I thought, well, gosh, maybe, you know. And then when it was in a couple of days, we were overjoyed on the one hand, but as you say, it presented this major practical problem. Because I remember saying, hey, great, well, let's, let's order some more. And then you or someone said to me, well, yeah, but it's going to take about four months, right, to make the next uh, batch. So we waited till what, September, October, maybe, till the next batch came in. Uh, and then, again, we sold because Christmas was coming up. So, no, I, I was, yes, I'm surprised by that, delighted by it. And it's, yeah, beyond our wildest dreams of fulfilling this uh, wish to make the Bible in this richly spiritual way available to people. So, yeah, I'm delighted with that. We've since sold, I think, somewhere over 200,000 copies yeah. of this first volume. So I think it's safe to say it's become the best-selling Catholic Bible of its kind of our generation. Um, people have, have been drawn to and captivated by this style of presenting the written Word of God. Uh, Bishop, we, we've talked a little bit about the emphasis on beauty throughout this work, the via mm -hmm. pulchritudinis. Let's talk a little bit more about the commentary. One of the key marks of this whole series is the, the chorus of voices yeah. that you hear singing the scriptures throughout this Bible. Of course, we have lots of commentary from you because it's a Word on Fire Bible, but readers will hear from dozens and dozens of church fathers to saints to spiritual writers, even to some that you might not expect to see in a Bible, voices like G.K. Chesterton or Flannery O'Connor, and then, of course, all the way up through the modern popes, John Paul mm -hmm. II, Benedict XVI, and Pope Francis. What does this range of commentators add to the reading experience? Why are they so important? Well, I'll go back to Cardinal Newman here. Don't think of the Bible as like a football. So here's the sacred text, and I pass it on, and then I just take it unchanged and pass it on and then pass it on. The Bible's a living thing, right? It's received by the church. It's discussed, it's analyzed, it's thought about, it's meditated upon. It's, I always think of um, like two like tennis players. You know, So one hits the ball with a certain spin, and then the other player has got to react to that and then hits it back with his own, whether it's a lob shot or it's a, it's a, a drop shot or it's a you know, forehand or a backhand. And as you play, and, and that's the tradition, is you know you and I speak to each other about the faith, and each has its own his own perspective, and then we toss it to somebody else. Well, the great traditions like that is think of all of these people: uh, Jerome and Origen and Augustine and, and Thomas Aquinas and John Henry Newman and G.K. Chesterton. It's as though the the Bible has been discussed and and passed on and analyzed and and uh, knocked back and forth over the great uh, tradition, and it's in that process. Newman would say that you know the, the seed grows into a great tree, or the little uh, source of a river becomes this mighty uh, body of water. Think of the, 
the source of the Mississippi and then the mouth of the Mississippi. And so the, the voices of the tradition represent, I think, that development of understanding, pulling out all the implications. Newman says that a real idea is equivalent to the sum total of its possible aspects. It's a marvelous idea. Think of like a, a diamond you throw up in the air and it would catch the light in different ways and, and then you throw it up again and it catches them differently and each time a new facet emerges. So the Gospel of John is passed on to uh, Polycarp and then on to Irenaeus and then on to Origen then on to Augustine and then on to Thomas Aquinas. And in that process, all the different facets of it are revealed. Well, not all of them. That's why the, the tradition will go on beyond us, right? Someone will, I hope, toss the word on fire Bible to someone and say, wow, look at all this, but now I, I want to add this perspective. That's the tradition. It's the Catholic approach to the Bible, right? We don't think it's just this football that's handed on from one to another. It's part of a live, at the center, if you want, of a very lively conversation. Uh, it never undermines itself. So if someone were to come along and say, hey, my reading of this is that Jesus Christ really isn't divine. Well, no, then those people are excluded from the conversation. We might call them heretics. They, they, they've sort of cut themselves off from the legitimate conversation. Like someone, I'll go back to the sports analogy, you're playing basketball. We can play basketball in a whole variety of ways, but certain moves are, no, 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 that's not basketball. You can't just pick the ball up and run with it. You know, you can't double dribble. You can't um, knock over your opponent. So that would be someone in the great conversation who's outside of the legitimate limits of it. But within those limits, off you go. Think now of Chrysostom, Jerome, Augustine, Thomas Aquinas, and Newman as the great it's like NBA superstars over the decades. You know, the people that played the game in a really lively, creative, original way, you know. And that's a Catholic sensibility, I think, is that we reverence these great players over the centuries and we want to listen to their voices again. What does our friend Chesterton say about the democracy of the dead, right? We give the dead a voice. We want to hear them. I don't think, I don't think Chrysostom is, just a, is now silence. No, I want to hear him sing again. I want to hear Newman sing again. I want to hear John Paul II sing again. And that's what this Bible makes possible. And that's, I think, a Catholic approach to the scriptures. All right, let's shift gears now and talk about volume two and then the other future volumes in the series. And I want to take a moment here and make a request, Bishop. We, we, bear, we rarely do this for our listeners, but uh, we need to do it here for this Word on Fire Bible project. Um, as you could probably detect as we're describing the, the quality of this series, the ambitious nature of it, it costs a lot of money to create something like this. Um, you know, we did very well on volume one. We sold 200,000 copies, but we still got a long road ahead of us to produce uh, what's looking like six more volumes in the series, and we need your help to do it, to be frank. Um, a project like this requires a lot of upfront money. When we place mm -hmm. a print order for volume two, we have to pay all the money up front in order to get that Bible made before we even start selling it. So if you'd like to help us continue this series and make it happen, bring us all the way to the finish line, please help us out. I'll include a link in the show notes here where you can do that. But the website's wordonfire.org slash Bible project. Wordonfire.org slash Bible project. You can donate any amount. Any amount will help. But if you make a donation above $85, you'll be the first to receive a copy of Volume 2. So you'll be the highest on the list to receive the copies when they come out. It's looking like Volume 2 will be ready 
in January of 2022. So just a a few months from now, but if you go to that page, you can not only donate, you'll also get a sneak preview of some of the pages from volume two. So go to the website, wordonfire.org slash Bible project. Okay, let's talk a little bit about volume two, Bishop. Uh, we just sent it off to the printer. We just finished it basically yeah. last week. I know you've had time to look at it. A couple of quick stats here. People have been asking me already, how's volume two different than volume one? Well, Here's how. So first of all, it covers the rest of the New Testament. So volume one was the four Gospels. Volume two is Acts, all of the letters, and the book of Revelation. It's much longer and thicker than volume one. So it's 848 pages long. That means it's about 43% thicker than volume one. Um, the chorus of commentary voices is also much more substantial. We have a, a lot of new voices that weren't in volume one, including people like Origen, Ambrose, Bonaventure, Dante, Henri de Lubach, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, and Dietrich von Hildebrand. Mm. Just to give a little, uh, some stats, the first volume had 27 commentators, and that included 14 church fathers. The second volume has 62 commentators, including 26 church fathers. So it's a much more robust, almost a, a much more symphonic set of voices in this second mm -hmm. volume. Bishop, I mentioned you had some time to flip through the digital proofs of it before we sent it off to the printer. What was your first reaction to this new volume two? Yeah, it was it was delight. I mean, I, I got the PDF you sent me, and it took a while to download the whole PDF, but I started just sort of paging through, and I couldn't read every every page or every line, but I was just struck by, uh, yes, how beautiful, and, and even more so. I'd say whatever you find in volume one, you're going to find more of it in volume two. As you say longer, uh, more commentaries, more works of art. It was just stunning and, and delightful. I, I'd find myself just pausing at a page and, you know, meditating on it. And that was just watching the computer screen, which I don't like doing. I never like reading a book on a computer screen. But uh, even in that format, it was very compelling. So, yeah, I'm just proud of the team that did so much. You know, I, I have some commentaries in there, but gosh, the team is, it, it put this thing together in such a marvelous way. So it, it, there'll be a little bit of a wait, and I think you mentioned, Brandon, that COVID played a role as well, because it's being printed over in Italy, and they had some delays because of, of COVID restrictions and all that. But just to make these beautiful volumes takes a long time, but I think you'll, it's worth the wait. Big shout out to our core Word on Fire Bible team, including our designers, Roseanne, Michael, Nick, and then on the content and editing side, Matt and Dan. I think collectively our, our team bishop has spent hundreds of hours on this project. It's just hard to explain how much time and effort and energy goes into something like this. Uh, I want to talk about one name I just mentioned in the list of new figures in Volume 2 who we unwittingly, almost accidentally left out of Volume 1, and that's Origen. Origen is the great hmm. father of the spiritual yeah. interpretive tradition. Talk a little bit about him and how he reads the Bible. Uh, what a great figure. I mean, I would say in the East, Origen is the greatest of the fathers, as Augustine is in the West. Um, I, and, you know, scholars will argue that point. But I, I think in terms of uh, the quantity and quality of his output, it's just staggering. And Origen was a great philosophical mind, trained in the same school as Plotinus. Plotinus and he were students together uh, in that sort of um, uh, middle Platonic tradition. So he had that in spades. But above all, he was a man of the Bible one of the great biblical figures in the entire tradition. And he set the tone 
in many ways for what we would call the spiritual reading of the Bible. So the, the literal sense, but then the three spiritual senses, a lot of that begins with Origen. Now, he was reliant upon people like Philo of Alexandria, who gave allegorical readings of the Hebrew scriptures, um, but also the, the whole rabbinical tradition, which he knew quite well. So Origen is the man, you know, it's been said of Plato that the rest of philosophy is a footnote to Plato. I don't want to overstate it, but in a way, theology is kind of a footnote to Origen, that his way of doing it. Now, you know, the church is drawn back from Origen in certain ways. Uh, he's such an early figure that he, he's, a, he's trying to think his way through these great mysteries, and he wouldn't get it as right as later figures do, like Augustine on the Trinity and Aquinas and so on. But, you know, he's, he's starting at the very early stage. But especially in regard to the Bible, Gosh, I mean, Augustine, you, you couldn't have Augustine's biblical commentaries without Origen. In many ways, they're kind of just riffing on themes in Origen. Uh, read someone like Bernard of Clairvaux in the Middle Ages, deeply indebted to Origen and his approach to the Bible. Then come up to the 20th century, and you've got the, um, the ressourcement, you know, the, the, um, the back-to-the-sources movement, people like Henri de Lubac and many of the fathers of Vatican II, they were very much indebted to Origen of Alexandria. So, no, I'm happy that he's a voice in this uh, chorus. Let's wind this to a close by looking forward after Volume 2. So with Volumes 1 and volumes and Volume 2, we'll have covered the entire New Testament, but then we look forward to the daunting task of completing the entire Old Testament. Just to give people a little idea of our plans now, we're planning to complete the Old Testament in five volumes. So Volume 3, which is the next one after Volume 2, is going to cover the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We've already started working on that, even though it's probably going to be two or three years till it comes out. Um, and then after that, we'll complete the rest of the Old Testament over four more volumes. So this project is going to cover seven volumes, probably close to 10 years of work. It's Again, one of the most ambitious, significant things I think we've done at Word on Fire, but the, we want to keep it going. We, we feel that this is the type of Bible that will be read for generations to come. I want my children to still be reading this, my grandchildren to still be reading this. We, we think this is a Bible for our time, a Bible for our age, but again, we need your help. We need your help to make it happen. So visit the website, wordonfire.org slash Bible Project and help us out a little bit. Bishop, I know you've turned a lot of your attention recently to the Old Testament. You've been preaching through the Old Testament and writing yeah. through the Old Testament, in part to give us a lot of content for this Word on Fire Bible project. So talk about that. Why, why is it important, for example, that we didn't just stop with Volume 2? We didn't just do the New Testament. Why is it important that this series encompasses the whole Old Testament as well? Because we're not Marcionites. So go back to the 2nd century in that very early... Uh, heresy uh, propagated by Marcion, uh, who said, you know, the real revelations found in, in the New Testament, indeed even just sections of the New Testament, and the Old Testament belongs to a, a fallen God, and that's old hat, we should get rid of it. Well, the church, and, and Irenaeus, one of my heroes, played a key role here. The church opposed itself to Marcionism and said, no, you can't understand Jesus unless you see him as the culmination of this great story that begins with uh, the revelation to Israel. And so we stand athwart all forms of Marcionism. If we were just to produce the New Testament, we'd kind of be practical Marcion, Marcionites, you know? I think we want to say, no, no, this, 
like the church fathers, I mean, who loved the Old Testament. Look at all those figures. You know, go back to the the uh, patristic uh, commentators. They they love the Old Testament. Spent a lot of time with it. Thomas Aquinas spends a lot of time commenting on the Old Testament. So we very much wanted to stand in that tradition. Now, as you say, it's a big daunting project because now we're looking at you know, I mean, how many how many thousands of pages? But um, I think it's worth the effort. Well, it's time now for our question from one of our listeners. Each episode, we hear from one of you. You can send in a question to Bishop Barron at the website, askbishopbarron.com. There you can record a question. Each episode, we pick one of them for Bishop Barron to answer. Today, we have one from Joan in Connecticut. She's asking for advice on spiritual progress and how to continue in the spiritual life. Here's your question. Hi, Father Barron. Um... My name is Joan. I'm from Connecticut. I wanted to know um, why the spiritual life does not get easier. I pray every day. I go to daily Mass. But I seem to struggle with many issues every day. Why is that? Yeah, that's a good question, and and we really could spend you know all day trying to tease that out. It reminds me of um, you know a lot of people come to confession and they'll say, "Father, I, I've been confessing the same stuff for forty years, you know, and I, I don't seem to make any progress." So I, I understand that frustration. I do, and and part of it is let's be frank about it that we um, we're a fallen people, you know, and and we struggle all the time against what what the Council of Trent called the fomes peccati, the, the sort of um, tinder of sin. So a tendency towards sin is always in us, and it can be stirred up very easily. So we got that. We're always fighting against our own fallen nature. Um, so it, it, I'm not surprised in a way. None of the spiritual masters would be surprised that it's a struggle, the spiritual life. But I'd also say this. is I love the fact that you said you, know, you pray every day, you go to Mass, focusing more on these basic and simple disciplines of the spiritual life might be more important than charting progress. Uh, the Lord's asking us to be faithful to certain things. Um, you know, so I do a holy hour every day. I did it this morning before I came over here. And, uh, you know, sometimes you're really into it and sometimes you're, you know, you're really excited about it and, and insights are coming to you and you feel close to the Lord. Other times, you're just tired or you're just not, okay, okay, who cares? Just do it. Just do it. Same with Mass. Same with all the other disciplines in the spiritual order. So in a way, that's what the Lord's asking us to do, I think, is, is to be faithful to the practices and disciplines of the spiritual life, even when it feels like I'm not making progress. Maybe compare it to someone um, learning a sport or learning a musical instrument. You often go through that, don't you? It's like, I'm not making any progress. I've been practicing this darn instrument, you know, for months. And I've, well, all right, just keep going. Just don't give up. Keep going. Um, or I, I've been trying to learn basketball for months and I just don't seem to make any progress. Come to practice. Come to practice. So I put the stress there, maybe, but I, I totally get it. We're up against our own fallen, sinful natures. Well, as we wind to a close here, just a couple of reminders. One, check out our new book, 
collection, collecting together Pope Benedict's best writings. It's called the Pope Benedict XVI Reader. You can learn more at the website wordonfire.org slash Benedict. Also, once again, we need your help on this Word on Fire Bible project. It's a massive undertaking. We can't do it alone. We want you to come and partner along with us. Again, we just finished volume two. Um, we're about to send it off to the printer here, but there's a long road ahead of us to finish the rest of the entire scriptures. It's an awesome and awe-inspiring undertaking, hopefully one that will stretch for generations, but we need your help to make it happen. So visit the website wordonfire.org slash Bible project. Again, if you donate $85 or more, you'll receive one of the very first copies of Volume 2 when it rolls off the printer. Again, wordonfire.org slash Bible project. Well, thanks so much for listening and watching. We'll see you next time on the Word on Fire show.